1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Let's keep the NBA conversation rolling with a very talented NBA writer we have on the show frequently. He is Sam Quinn from CBS Sports. So you, you, you might have been able to guess this, at Sam Quinn CBS on the old, the old Twitter. Sam,
3: what's up, buddy? Phil, I'm doing great. I saw Back to the Future, the musical last night, and the one constant from 1955 to 1985 to now is that LeBron James was in the NBA the whole time. There's a Back to the Future, the musical on Broadway in New York? I was as surprised as you are when I heard about it, but the moment I did, snatched up some tickets, and I went with a buddy last night.
2: Is it the same general story? I, it's so weird because I was talking to my wife randomly about Back to the Future 1 yesterday, and then we had a, a, a slight debate about whether or not Back to the Future 2 sucks. Correct answer, no, it doesn't. My wife's answer, yeah, no, yes, it does. I was going to say, we were going to have some problems if you, if you were going down that road. <laughs> I love this. Right. No, I'm, my, and my wife, God bless her, I love her, goes, I really like the Western one. I'm like, look, I'm not going to criticize any Back to the Futures, but if you were going
3: to, that's the one you go at. Is it the same premise? Oh, yeah, same premise. They make some slight changes to the story, but mostly it's the original story just done as a musical on Broadway. I had a blast. I loved it. Now, it's one of my favorite movies, so hard for it to go wrong for me, but, man, I loved it. All right, get in your your intellectual DeLorean
2: for me here and go into the future. When will LeBron James actually retire? And based on last night, how corny is that speech going to be?
3: At this point, I'd be willing to believe anything. I think if you told me he played his one year with Bronny and was done, I'd buy it. If you told me he stuck around a bit longer, he's running out of things to do in the NBA, if you really think about it, besides playing with his son. Something that I've sort of been wondering about, does he care about the all-time games record? That's not quite as prestigious as the scoring record. I would argue that if part of your argument for being the greatest player of all time is longevity-based, that's a record you'd kind of like to have. Right now, he's 190 games behind Robert Parrish for the record. Something that I've sort of thought about. He'd have to average, you know, something like 47 games a year if he played four years to break that record. And if he played four years, his last year would coincide, I believe, with the first year in the NBA of Bryce James, his younger son, who people have said he's a more talented prospect than Bronny. At that age, it's hard to really tell. But he's talked in the past. Maybe he wants to play with both of his kids. That would be a nice opportunity for him to do that and check off another important record in his favor. So if you were to ask me to make a prediction, I think it'll be this year with the Lakers. He'll start to deal with the brawny stuff in a year once we get a sense of what his NBA career is going to look like. I'm going to say three or four years, but the truth is I'd buy almost anything. The guy is such a machine. Um, Sam,
2: you write extensively and impressively and with great expertise about, about the Lakers, what now in the, the basically final conclusions do you make of their roster when we get to next season?
3: So I think some of the praise has been a little bit overblown. I do think they had a good offseason. I think running it back made some degree of sense. But if you really look at what happened in the Denver series, they had four players that they could trust, right? It was LeBron, A.D., Reeves, and Rui Hachimura, who is like a 34% career three-point shooter who made half of his threes in the playoffs. We don't know if that's going to sustain. I don't know if they added anybody who they would trust in a matchup with Denver, and Denver is the team that you have to beat if you want to win the West. So Gabe Vincent played against the, against the Nuggets in the finals. Didn't play especially well, and Eric Spolster kind of nailed um, back on his minutes as that series progressed. You know, they added guys who I think will make sense in the regular season, and I think that was a big theme of their offseason, right? Gabe Vincent is going to help take that ball handling load off of LeBron. They added more wings. They have more size. That's something that they really lacked for a lot of last season before the trade deadline. Something that I'm keeping an eye on, they have 13 roster spots filled right now. The plan right now seems to be add a 14th player, leave a roster spot empty from there. It seems as though they want a backup center with that last spot. The name that I'm keeping an eye on right now is Christian Wood, yeah. who, look, there's a reason he's available. I'm not going to pretend that he's a good defender. His locker room history is obviously spotty. That said, that kind of talent for the minimum salary, which from all, by all reports is all that he's been offered, that somebody who could step in and start games when Anthony Davis gets hurt really help that innings-eater need that they have when their stars get hurt. If they can get him as their 14th guy, I would at least feel good about saying, They are a much deeper regular season team that's going to help them with seeding. And then at the deadline, they'll have an opportunity with this pretty small D'Angelo Russell contract and their 2029 first first-round pick to add one more guy who you would trust in the Denver series. So I don't think they're there yet. I don't think they're a championship team at the moment. But I think they're in a position where they've improved in the regular season and have a chance to get to that championship level down the line. All right, Sam Quinn, I, I went to the Summer League, and I,
2: I saw several colleagues who are and who are not CBS Sports employees, Kurt Healy, Healan, How, Howard Beck, Sam Amick, Colin ward Henniger, and, and to all these guys and other folks, I, I made this sort of argument that would lead to them making that face one makes when you don't want to insult someone by calling them stupid, but you're certainly thinking that. So I'm going to give you the same perspective, and you can just call me stupid or you can agree or wherever you come down. I am, I guess I'm sort of on an island here. I'm really excited about this weird in-season tournament the NBA is doing. Maybe I've been spoon-fed too much um, spin from folks in the NBA league office because they've been excited about this for for years. Maybe it's the the soccer fan in me where I can conceive of and understand, you know, an FA Cup or Copa del Rey comp for what for what the NBA is trying to do. I know there's some weird aspects to it. But I'm kind of I'm kind of here for it. I really am. As a fan of the sport, as a guy that covers the sport, where do you come down? on the start this upcoming season of this in-season tournament? Yeah, Bill, I'm starting to come around.
3: You know, I, at first I was one of the many people who were saying, so what? And ultimately, I don't think pool play is going to be something that really motivates teams to change the way they play. We're not going to see LeBron play 47 minutes in a pool play game in November. But I remember the All-Star game, I believe it was 2020, the first year that they added the Elam ending. And it happened to be really close at the end. And for those last few minutes, both teams really took it seriously and we left that game thinking, oh, wow, this is awesome. Like, this is going to really change the all-star game moving forward. Obviously, it didn't every year because not every year is close. But I think what's going to happen is we're going to get to Vegas for that Final Four, and it's going to be the third quarter of one of those first Final Four games. And it's going to be a one-possession game. And the stars on both sides are going to look at each other and say, I kind of want to win this. Like, this is important to me. NBA players are inherently competitive. When NBA players want to win and are taking it seriously, whether that's a regular season game in December or Game 7 of the finals, that's always going to be entertaining. So what I ultimately think is going to happen is we're not going to care that much during the pool phase. It's not going to you know matter all that much. Then we're going to get to Vegas, and suddenly it's going to be awesome. Uh, Sam,
2: I, you probably, I, I'm assuming, I, I, I shouldn't put words in, in the mouths of, of, of people on the show, so if, if this is not accurate just say so, but I think most of us don't overreact too much to summer league. We know it's a very small early sample size. For me, it's a glorified scrimmage. I like it. I like watching it. I like talking about it. But it it's not that telling to me about about. It does not in. It is not a Delorean into the future for for me. So from what you saw from 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 Wembenyama, from Scoot Henderson, from Brandon Miller. Any conclusions, any overriding thoughts that you have from those guys or anybody else from from Summer League?
3: Yeah, as far as when Binyama goes, I'm ultimately with you. I'm not somebody who puts a lot of stock into Summer League, especially where rookies are concerned. If I'm going to put stock into Summer League, it's with second-year guys because I want to see what they've added since their first offseason started. Like, I think Max Christie on the Lakers is a perfect example of this, someone who took a real jump between his rookie year when he barely played and next year when he'll probably be in the rotation. As far as Banyama goes, the one thing that really stands out, the offense is going to be hit or miss as a rookie. I think that's just the reality of being a rookie big man. Defensively, oh, my God, some of the things he was doing. That block on Brandon Miller yeah. from behind the three-point line. I mean, there are going to be shots that other defensive, like legendary defensive players, you know, Rudy Gobert, these guys that have won several defensive players of the year, He's going to have access to blocks that they did not just based on his athleticism, his instincts, and his wingspan. I am just blown away. And I'm sitting here thinking ultimately the one weakness on defense is there are going to be a few centers in the NBA who can take advantage of him from a size standpoint. We saw this more on offense where he really struggled to get to his spots in that Charlotte game because some of these guys were frankly bullying him a little bit. That's going to happen against Jokic. That's going to happen against Simbead against most other NBA centers, most other NBA big men, his size is going to be so overwhelming. If you told me he made all defense as a rookie, I might buy it. And if you told me he did something crazy, like won five straight defensive player of the year, I might buy that too. I don't know what the ceiling is defensively. Offensively, it's going to take time. I don't want to say, oh, he's going to be an MVP. I have never seen a defensive rookie like
2: this. I'm, even in that first game where he quote unquote played badly, right when everyone reacted to that two of thirteen shooting night, Sam Quinn, I thought I was there. Maybe this is what, I thought he was mesmerizing, and the the gravity he commanded, and the way that he changed space around him offensively and defensively, I thought was, I mean, it was it, it was so obvious and so stunning. Sam Quinn here on the show, Sam, this I'm going to give this to you in a very sort of general sense, and you can take it anywhere you want, but when 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 you look at and think about Zion Williamson. And where he is in the NBA, and and what he can do versus what he will do, where do you come down on Zion? Optimist, pessimist? Do you think New Orleans should? You take it any direction you want, but I'm curious your take on Zion.
3: You know, we heard those trade rumors around the draft. You know, Portland was one of the teams swirling around. Charlotte, any team that could have helped them help the Pelicans get Scoot Henderson. I was sitting here thinking. Based on what is reasonably available, and I'm a huge Scoot Henderson fan, but based on what is reasonably available, there's no way I would have traded Zion. I'm just of the opinion there are so few guys in the NBA that legitimately have MVP caliber talent. At any given time in the league, it's less than a dozen guys. It's like six, seven, eight players that can do the things that a healthy Zion Williamson can do. I would rather watch my franchise sink to the bottom of the ocean then trade that guy away early. I would rather be the team that held on to him too long and just said, look, we know there are fitness problems. We know there are health problems. There might have been attitude problems. I think, frankly, he's starting to trend in the right direction based on some of the quotes that we've seen this offseason. The point is, with all the risk, the talent is so mesmerizing and so overwhelming, I'm just not giving up on him. I am keeping him until the moment he says, you know what, I'm out, or you know what, it's not going to happen. I just think guys who can score near the basket the way that he does, there's nobody else in basketball like him. You could wait 30 years and be in the lottery all that time and never pick another player as talented as him. I just am of the opinion that guys like that, you hold on to them for dear life.
2: Uh, Last question for you, Sam Quinn. As we await Damian Lillard's destination, and as as I understand as everyone on earth understands, that he still wants to be a member of the – of the Miami Heat. If you were Dame, if you were advising Dame, what would be the list of teams, realistic
3: teams that you would maybe suggest to him he should be open to? Okay, first of all, I want to dial the clock back here a little bit. Remember in 2020 when Anthony Davis requested a trade and everybody in the NBA knew he only wants to go to the Lakers, but he still leaked out that farcical list where it was I think the Bucks, the Clippers, and maybe the Knicks where he leaked out a few other teams to kind of seem a little bit more reasonable say, no, no, it's not just the Lakers. See, I'm giving the Pelicans options. I feel like Damian Lillard probably should have done that with the Blazers. Just picked out a couple of teams that didn't have as much to trade as the Heat. Just to be like, oh, no, I'd love to go play for the Suns. I'd love to go play for the Lakers. Just to seem a little bit more reasonable because right now he's losing the PR battle. But in terms of the basketball side of the equation, the team I keep looking at is Philly. I think – Joel Embiid by far is the best player he could reasonably be playing with next season. Joel Embiid, like look, Jimmy Butler, incredible in the playoffs. If you look at a night to night player, Jimmy Butler's not an MVP. Joel Embiid's an MVP. The thing that Joel Embiid lacks, frankly, Philly has lacked this entire, since the process started, has been somebody to set a culture. Damian Lillard can do that. Damian Lillard can be the surefire playoff scorer that they've never had. I think they have enough defensively, you know, Tucker's still going to be there. The Anthony Melton could slide into a starting role where I think Lillard is the one thing that they lack. And I think it's a nice, purely from a narrative story perspective, I know some people don't like this, but, you know, we're writers. This is what we gravitate towards, you know, from a narrative perspective, I think it would be kind of interesting for Lillard to not be able to take the team that drafted him to the promised land, like he'd he to do, but to help Joel Embiid do it in a city that, you know, he has a similar connection to from a narrative perspective, that just really is very, very fun to me. So if I were him, I'd be much more open-minded about Philly. I think there's a much you know, more palatable deal there for Portland where maybe Tyrese Maxey goes out and you get extra assets for him and James Harden goes to the Clippers and you get more assets for him. I think if Philly was really in the conversation here and Lillard was willing to consider it, they could make a much better offer than Miami could. So that would be the other team I would keep an eye on. But purely from a PR perspective, Dane, just throw out a couple other teams that aren't going to do it. Just do it for the sake of appearing reasonable because, man, you know, the PR has not been great for him since his trade request.
2: Yeah, it has been ugly. Sam Quinn, uh, great stuff, buddy. Appreciate the time, and thank you for letting us know that there's a Back to the Future, the musical. It might be time for me to
3: get back to the Big Apple. I'm glad I could impart that, you know, little service (laughs) on your listenership because I recommend it to anybody. It's incredible. Go see it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.